0: Turn with me to Psalm 68. Psalm 68. We're taking our, our time through Psalm 68 and Psalm 69. And uh, we're going to be looking specifically this morning at verses 11 to 18. Um, but as you find it in stand, I'm going to begin. I'm going to read the first three verses. Because really we're talking about this God that rises up. And then what He displays to us, what we can learn from Him and then how we can live that out as, as his followers. So let's stand to, to our feet. and uh, Psalm. This is a psalm of David, a song that God's people would sing when they would gather together. Uh, let's look first at the first three verses of Psalms 68. It says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. And as smoke is driven away, so shall you drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Verse 11. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. The women at home divide the spoils, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. The wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, O mountain of Bashan, O many peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. This is God's word. Lord, we thank you for this morning, for the rain that you have given us overnight, the ability of us to rise up this morning and gather Lord, we praise you even for technology that those who couldn't gather with us today can still be with us. All wisdom comes from you. All the good gifts that we have, we receive come from you. And so, Lord, we've gathered here today to proclaim that, to worship you, to learn from you. Lord, in the midst of our situation, many of us need you to rise up And so, Lord, we know that you will because this is your character to come to your people in their time of need. To come to us, Lord, in our times of rebellion. To bring us back. To restore us. To give us a hope and a destiny and a future and a name. Lord, we thank you for all of those things. None of those things that we could have done but we are yours by your grace, and we thank you for it this morning as your people. And we've just come here to read these few passages and to just learn from you. Well, Lord, teach us first who you are. Teach us who you are, God, so that we may understand what you were doing in our life, even during times of distress. We praise you. We trust you. We need you. In Jesus' name. Amen be seated so as we said last week this this is a psalm about a people that are on the move David is remembering this people that are on a move they began their journey by crying out to God in slavery they're headed toward a destiny that verse one we see that this God that rises up on behalf of his people they have went from Egypt, if you remember, to Mount Sinai where God's presence came down. And, and then from there on, we begin to see God's presence gets mobile. God's presence is on the move with His people. It's present in the Ark of the Covenant and in the tabernacle. God is teaching His people through all of that who He is and how He cares for them. And so we learned last week, God is a powerful yet kind father. We see this week, God's, he, he, this father is also a warrior. This father is also a king. Now imagine with me, brothers. You're sitting in your chair, minding your own business, doing your easy chair thing. And your wife looks out the window, and your children are in the backyard. And she looks out, and she sees a pack of dogs that's got into your backyard and your children are out there playing, I ask you, what would you do? Call animal control? Finish your book? Say, honey, I'm right in the middle of something. Can you go out there and take care of that? Oh, no, no. If you're any man at all, you're going to rise up. And when I go out there, Mr. Smith and Wesson's coming with me. Amen. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to the, the most aggressive dog in the pack, I'm going to plant him first. And when he plants first, the rest of them's going to scatter. Come on now, that's, I, So what is that? Brothers and wives, what is that? Is that a father? Is that a warrior? or is that a king? Yes. we see, we display all of that. Because that's exactly what God is doing there. And if you've got a problem with that, that response, you have never set your love truly on anything worth fighting for. Because if I didn't have Mr. Smith and Wesson, I'd have my two hands and I'd take them out there and bring them to bear. God does that on behalf of his children. It's the main idea. Our God is, power, is a powerful father... A passionate provider and a mighty warrior king, bringing his people to a place of rest and worship and action as we display them in a broken world. You see, in this journey, their journey is our journey. It's a parallel journey, one just points to the other. And what is teaching us here is that worship is not just a place we go to. Worship is about how we live in the journey. It's about what God is doing in our life, even when we don't understand it. Because what God is creating is worshipers. He's also creating warriors and people of God. Holiness, brothers and sisters, is our worship. Holiness is our worship. We'll come to Romans 12 later. The God who is a mighty Father is also a warrior. And the warrior gives the word. You see that in verse 11? The Lord gives the word. What is he saying? Well, you've got to sort of know the journey, don't you? You've got to sort of know the stories of the Bible for these kind of things to make sense. If you haven't studied your Bible from the Old Testament to the New, sometimes some of these things just don't make sense to you. But if you remember the story... Both with Moses and then with Joshua. Just think of Joshua. There was a time to rest, but there was also a time to war. And Joshua's life was mostly war. Just listen to this or, or turn with me. It's Joshua 1. So are going to look at a couple passages in Joshua. That's part of this journey that he's recalling. We know this verse is good. Verse 7, Joshua 1, 7. He says, only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do, all, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then... You will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened, and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord is your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 10, Joshua then gets up. Commands the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over the Jordan to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. In other words, be courageous, keep my word, and get up, it's time to fight. That's what the psalm is saying. The Lord gives the word, his people rise up to war. Numbers 10, you can check me out. In Numbers 10, God commanded them to make two silver trumpets. And so from, from the, the tabernacle, these silver trumpets were used to summon God's people to gather or to move. And so what he's thinking here is that those trumpets were the very voice of God, summoning God's people to battle. There's a time to sing and there's a time to rest. And there's a time to fight. And when God stands up and says it's time to fight, it's, it's time to fight. And here's the promise. It's right there in verse 12. When God arises, the enemies flee. The dogs scatter. There's a typo in your notes. It says Joshua 9. It should have said Joshua 10 here. Joshua 10, 10. Just another illustration. Once Joshua begins... To do what God has told him to do. Here's what happens in verse ten. It said, "The Lord threw the enemies them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon, and chased them by the ascent of Betharon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Maqadah." And they fled before Israel while they were going down to the sense of Beth Haran. The Lord threw down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. You see, the sons of Israel had swords, but also God was fighting. God rose up, and the enemies scattered, and the women Look at verse 11, second line. The women rejoiced. The, the women announced the news. You see, in this battle, in this spiritual battle called life that we fight, in the church, men have a part in the battle and victory, and women have a part in the battle and victory. It's a sign that we all have a part in the battle and in the victory. The men are part in the battle. they got their swords. The king has called them to war, and they have put on their gear. The women declare. Uh, the picture is here on the front end of this battle is the women are running from tent to tent, rousing the men and their sons to war. <laughs> if they're like my house, she's trying to help them find all the things they can't find, you know. i got one shoe. I can't find the other one. Can't find the keys to my chariot or something, you know. They have a part. They are the praise team that are rousing their, the men to battle and welcoming them back from the battle. Both on the front end of going to war, both in the victory coming back from war, they are part of it. In other words, we all have part of the mission of God. All of us. We're all called to it. Just so we See it, it's this in Scripture. Let me read you a couple of passages. First Samuel 18 verse six. "David has struck down the Philistines." And in First Samuel 18:6, it says this. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out from all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet the king Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. When God killed Pharaoh's army in Exodus 15 and verse 19, it says this, when the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the, midst, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took her tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out before her with tambourines and dancing, and Mir- Miriam sang, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. They declare, the men rise to go to war, the women declare, and they divide. Verse 12, second line says, The women at home divide the spoils, though you men lie among the sheepfolds. What we believe David is getting at here, he's going to make his point a little bit later, that from the weakest to the mightiest, and everybody in between, we all have a part of the war, and we all have a part of the spoils of war. Uh, let me just uh, show you what I think's in his mind. First Samuel thirty, First Samuel thirty, verse twenty one gives us sort of an illustration of what he could be talking about. So there's a, by the way, in, in this in this psalm, it's complicated because there's a lot of mystery in this symbolic language. And some of which we have we have almost lost it to because we don't live in their context. But just just check this out. First Samuel 30, verse 21. David and and his men have been fighting. And if you see in verse 21, there was a couple hundred men that were just dead dog tired. I mean, they were too exhausted. David said, It's time we're gonna keep, we're gonna go. And they said, No, I'm, we're too tired. And so they stayed behind. And so after, they, after the other men went and fought, and after they won, they came back. And um, verse 22, it says, Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each may, ha- may lead away his wife and children and depart. They said, just... You didn't help us fight. They just need to take their families and go home. They're not taking anything that we fought for. Verse 23. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given us into the hand of the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage, their share shall be alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward. Everybody's got a point. Everybody's got a place. Not everybody can pick up a sword and swing it. And not everybody's even supposed to. But everybody gets in the share of the battle because everybody has their part to play. This, at the end of verse 13, this, these wings of dove with silver in its... His pinions like shimmering gold. Uh, I had I seen some commentators said I have no idea what that means. Let's just move on. <laughs> what it appears to mean is an example, an example of some of the spoils. The spoils that they are bringing in will be priceless, gold and silver. And God has called us all to have a part in it, to fight and to celebrate. There is a completeness that is coming to this victory. Verse 14 says, When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snows fall on Zalman. Now, again, what does that mean completely? Well, what we think it is is a picture of the completeness of the victory. Uh, Imagine with me, you get up. I know all all the students were hoping this was coming. It's probably not coming. You wake up in the morning, and it's been snowing all night. And you look outside and there's snow and we, we live near mountains. So we got some reference for that. And uh, whether you have a farm and before anything has walked on the snow, there's this peacefulness to it. What God is going to bring in this war is a victory that looks like peace. It's going to bring peace like, a, like snow falling on a mountain. And so though this warrior king could have defeated our enemies, and their enemies all by himself. And sometimes he does. He calls and brings men and women, all of us, into the battle. And this is, this is just a profound principle that follows all the way through Scripture. It is because he is also the God of the small things and small people. Uh, This is the imagery that he's pulling for in 15 and 16. Do you see it? O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mountain God desired for his abode? The principle is that the mighty generally look down on the weak. Now, the peaks of Mount Hermon is, is on a... On a chain, a a a of mountains, a mountain range, if you would, and Bashan is that range, and the highest of those get up to some nine thousand above sea level, whereas Mount Zion that they're calling here, or Mount Moriah, is only a few hundred feet above the valley floor. So in comparison, um, the mountains of Bashan sort of should sort of metaphorically look down and say, look at that small mountain. What good is it? Look at us. We're big. We're tall. We're majestic. He said, why are you doing that? Here's the picture. God chose the small mountain. God chose the small mountain. And so he has this power to level the mightiest and to lift the weakest But you gotta get this today. If you don't don't understand this principle in the Bible from beginning to end, you will struggle your whole life long. This is accent, the psalmist is accenting God's freedom for God to choose according to his own purpose. He chooses what he chooses. And he don't choose it because it's already mighty and it already has it together and it's already majestic. Oh no. What does he choose? He chooses a little hill. Deuteronomy 7, 6. God says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7. It is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. That's the principle in the Bible. God chose his freedom to choose according to his own purpose. And he chooses the weak things. He lifts the weak. The Lord's choice is fixed. That's the best news in all the world, Christians. The Lord has set his love on you. It's what he says to his people. Isn't that what he said? He set his love on you. And you didn't deserve it. It wasn't because you had it together. It was precisely because you didn't. It's the biblical principle here. The Lord picks the weak and the lowly and the broken. David is remembering something, isn't he? I was the the weakest of eight sons of Jesse. God called me from the mountain of taking care of the sheep and made me a king you think yourself of being poor or weak or unimportant or handicapped or useless, take heart in this. You are exactly who God chooses to use. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. That's the principle. That's enough. That should be enough to set you to worship this morning. The warrior God chooses weak things and weak people. And He sets His love on them. He chooses him, And listen, that means something. That's why this doctrine of God's freedom is important. Because what God chooses, there He dwells. You with me? This isn't where doctrine is connected. It's where God's character meets your life. God's freedom to choose here, He chose that mountain and He chose that people. And because He chose them, His presence is there with them. In verse 16, he said, yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. Notice the connection of God choosing this little mountain. Now God's dwelling place is on that mountain. And so what is with God and that mountain? Verse 17, the chariots of God. The The army of God, the power of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. God's word corrects corrects us constantly. Uh, How many of us, how many times have I done it? I, I don't know. God corrected me this week. When we say the, the ark or the tabernacle was was merely a symbol of God's presence. It's not true. The ark, the tabernacle, even Zion itself, was a physical reality of something that is greater. God was there. God was there. And so when we come to the elements, when we gather on Sunday, when we stir those waters, it is, a, it is a picture of something of a greater reality. God is here. How dare we treat this as optional or act like it doesn't matter or sit here dead on Sunday. God said He would be here. God is here. That's what He's saying. In Psalms 42 Verse 2, in corporate worship, the faithful appear before God. In Psalms 27, 4, the worshippers gaze on the beauty of God. In Psalms 63, we look upon God, behold His power and His glory. In Psalms 22, 3, the, in the worship gathering, God is enthroned on the praises of Israel. When we are filled with God's Spirit, God is here. Wherever we go. David is gathering, he's excited, he's remembering this journey had a culmination. 1 Chronicles 15, we're not going to read it, verses 25 to 28, that day when David brings the ark into Zion. And the people were dancing and David was dancing and worshiping. Why? Because the ark was there? No, because God was there. This is the culmination for David. You see, he's the God, yes. He's a warrior God. But wherever God is, there is holiness. He's the God of holiness. That's what he's saying here. The Lord is among them. Verse 17, Sinai is now the sanctuary. This is the climax. The mountain was holy because God was there. Two mountains. Mount Sinai first. Mount Zion second. Mount Zion has always been the presence of God with his people. The tabernacle was holy because God was there. And some of us are not moved by it because we've simply skipped over Leviticus and Deuteronomy and some of those and said the things hard to read and it's boring and it has all those details and all that blood. And so we missed the point of what God meant to teach us was the same thing it meant to teach the Jewish people. I am holy and you are not And a greater sacrifice has to come to fix this problem. All the blood and all the gold and all the specificity was meant to teach us something. Where God is, there is holiness. The ark and the covenant and the tabernacle were more than a symbol. They were a comfort to God's people. God is with us. Therefore, therefore we should be holy because God is here. You see the argument? That which God chooses, God dwells. Wherever God is, is holy. We should be holy because God is here. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wherever God is, there is holiness. God's dwelling with his people. His abode he has set up, not only with us now, but in us. This is what gives us the confidence to rise up, to fight when we need to fight, the confidence to win. It is the point of the Bible from beginning to end. Leviticus 26, just listen. I just want you to see the continuity of the Bible. Leviticus 26 verse 11 says, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their, their slaves, and I have broken the, bar, the yoke and made you walk erected. You're saved today. God has broken the bound of slavery. So put your shoulders back and get your head up. We're a child of the king. Got nothing to hang our head about. We got no, sh- willing, no reason to live in shame. God has set us free. Revelation 21.3. On the other end of this thing. Listen to what he says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And then God himself will be with them as their God. That's how this thing ends. With God, with his people. That's the way it began. That's what sin broke. And that's what Christ fixed. And that's what we shall receive. Because God has promised it to be so. The warrior God is a warrior. Yes. But he's also a sovereign king who brings us and leads us into victory. That's verse 18. The God who is our king. Verse 18 says, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, the Lord God may dwell there. This king is the king who ascends. You see, he's a king. He he is a warrior, yes. He's a father, yes. He's also a king who has just won a battle. This is the picture of our Lord who left his throne and descended, fought a fight and finished it, ascended back and sits back on the throne where he is reigning and ruling right now. And we are following him. The victory march of a war in that time when it was won, the king, his warriors, his captives, and his spoils come marching in. That's when the women begin to holler and to rejoice and get their instruments. The boys are coming back home. And look, notice this. You got you to gotta grab Ephesians here, so go ahead and find if you want to. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to put this together. Keep your place there in Psalms. The king who ascends is the king who both receives and the king who gives. He receives and he gives. This is just a profound picture that Paul wants us to understand. This, this gospel picture that's being painted here. You see, in Jesus Christ, these captives are set free. In Jesus Christ, these captives are not only set free, they're given gifts and they join the mission. That's the gospel. It's your story. Uh, Look at Ephesians 2, verse 12. It says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ... Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenant of promise. Having no hope and without God in this world. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Think of this. This is Israel's story. This is our story. God chose the weakest people, Israel, to use You bring through them the seed that would be Jesus Christ. That he would bring him into the world. And then, after he finished redemption, he calls the Gentiles out of the slavery of paganism. Into the freedom of Christ the King. And he gives all of us gifts. And he sends us all out on one great mission for one purpose. Worship. Worship. So there is no slave. There is no free. There is no there is no racism there is nothing there's only people they were once a slave and they're now children and he gifts us all this is where Paul wants us to understand that text verse 18 look at now flip over a couple of pages in Ephesians to Ephesians 4 What Paul is doing here is he is connecting your Bible together for you. He is fulfilling you. He is helping you understand that the fulfillment of everything that was pointed to in the old was the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 4. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. When Lord one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So whereas he, yes, he received gifts, it's interesting, and we could go into the word, I'm not going to. The word here he said, he gave, he received. It's this picture of of God not only receiving something, but also giving something, The, the king itself. Most likely he's referring to here, the spoils. But what God is, what Paul is bringing into here is he's tying it into the body of Christ. He's trying to help us think like New Covenant, New Testament believers that we now are the body of Christ. Joined together in the church, we are the temple, we are the dwelling place of God. I said, God gives us gifts, all of us. That's that picture of both men and women. Not all of us have the same gifts. Not all of us do the same things. But all of us have the same point. We're on the same mission. And here is the point. He delivers us and he gifts us so that we may take our gifts and offer it back to him as worship. Do you see it? That's the full circle. That that reconciles not only Psalm 68 verse 18. It reconciles Ephesians 4, 4 and 8. He delivers us from captivity. He gifts His people. We offer it to Him back as worship. This is what Romans 12 is saying, isn't it? Romans 12, 1 and 2. That your life is your spiritual worship. He goes on to talk about gifts. <laughs> so use them. Listen to this. It's Revelation chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 says in verse 10, The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Brothers and sisters, those 24 elders are symbolic. Twelve elders. Tribes in the old and the twelve disciples in the new. That's just simply a symbolic word to say all of God's redeemed one day are going to lay down their crowns at the feet of Him and say, You are worthy. We're not going to be dancing around on on our little street with our mansions, playing football in the backyard. No, no, we're going to be bowed before the King of glory 're going to be worshipping Him. That's our end. And that's our journey. So here's the question today: How are we responding to this God? to the God who is our Father, the God who is our warrior, the God who is our king, and who calls us to display it? Am I celebrating when I should be fighting? Or am I fighting when I should be celebrating? <laughs> it 's easy to get those mixed up isn 't it? Like when do I fight and when do I rest? What is the purpose of a just war if you don 't know what a just war is to give you something to study on your own time peace that 's the purpose not not the tyrants like Putin who try to consume nations and people as he consumes his own people. Uh, it's peace. So the, the warfare that we wage first as a Christian is a warfare for holiness because God is with us. It is purity that binds us together as people. It is purity that makes us useful in a kingdom. A couple of passages and we're done. Colossians 3.12 challenges us then. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. Be thankful. We are putting on things. These things are bringing peace. And we are seeking to be unified as a body for one purpose. This very mission of God. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, Therefore, if anyone, and this is Second 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for Honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You want to be used in the kingdom of God? Quit dabbling around in secret sin. Because God uses those who understand that everywhere God is, is holy. So I'm a child of God, and I'm going to pursue holiness. We are called to war for holiness and in mission. I was telling Christina, I got in the car at the rescue mission. And I said, man, I enjoyed that. Right? Man, I enjoyed that. I didn't know if I would even get to do that again. God has given us me mercy. There is just nothing in this world like using your gifts. Why would you be content not knowing what they are? Why would you be content sitting on a couch when you could be sitting around hungry men or hungry women just wanting you to talk to them about the things of God? Why would you choose anything different? Use your gifts, whatever they are. If you can mop a floor, mop it to the glory of God. And sit back and say, look what God has given me the ability to do. God gives us all the charge to be like him, to serve him, and to make followers of him. And there are no exceptions to that rule. This is not gender-specific. It is not age-oriented. It is every child of God. No matter who you are, no matter what age you are, no matter what stage you are, you are called to those three things, and we are called to fight from victory. 1 John 5, 4 says this, For every child of God defeats this evil world one way, faith and that's the question 1 John 5, 5 and who can win this battle against the world only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God this is the question do you believe and are you ready to fight for the things of God Jeremiah 6 God's people we're at a crossroads we're talk about this in growth group And God tells them, you need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing. Just stop. You need to look and realize that you're at a crossroads. And which path you take determines whether it's life or destruction. Blessing or cursing. And so he charges them. Ask for the old godly way and walk in that because that is where you'll find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, God has put watchmen on the walls of your life. Don't ignore them. Listen to them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm that has given us these amazing pictures of who you are amazing promises of not only what you've done in your people's life but then what now we can hope that you're going to do in our life Lord if we've been set free from sin through faith in your son then you have given all of us gifts to use for your glory and so we pray that we would grab a broom or grab a plate or start serving the Lord. We would not wait for tomorrow. Don't let the devil pull this out of you, but act on it. Lord, your people are precious. And your people are called to be holy precisely because you are not only here with your church, but you are here in us with each individual believer. So, God, we know As believers, we have gathered, so God, you are here. So this place is holy. This time is holy. Our response should be appropriate to that. As we stand and sing, as we come and ask you, Lord, to forgive us if there be any sin in us and so that we may come to the table celebrating the fact That Jesus brought us to you. And now we can know that you are with us. Lord, we take the cup and the bread and we remember that reality. That as you told the disciples, I am always with you. You're still with us because you've never broke a promise yet. And so, Lord, we celebrate that truth now. As we come, as we take, as we give, as we worship, and as we go, we do all of it in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, who is our Lord, who is our King, and who is our brother. Amen.